with the conversation of Sri Ramakrishna with Vidya Sagar. So we are almost in the last portion of the discussion. So we will take up from the portion where we have left out in the last class. So as we found that Sri Ramakrishna while praising Vidya Sagar for the philanthropic activities which he is doing, at the same time he is reminding him that the philanthropic activities by itself won't take us much ahead unless there is a spiritual intonation behind it, a spiritual orientation behind it. That alone will enter in karma yoga. Otherwise, the philanthropic activities by itself, though they may do some good, but at last we will find it neither helps us to evolve spiritually, nor the in, that our intention to do really good to the world. That also we will find, we, the way we think we will do good to the world, it never happens. Because we will find that, as Swami Vivekananda used to say, that the world is like an old rheumatic patient. You try to get rid of the pain in the knees, it's by massaging, it just shifts to the ankle. So the problems will find uh, expression in a different way. In the society, there cannot be ultimate good, however we may try. So that way, if just doing good to the society is our aim, at last we, it will end up in frustration. And it's a fact of life. The person to whom Ramakrishna is speaking, we all study about Vidyasagar's achievement. Vidyasagar was in no way a spiritually oriented person. He believed in doing good. But if we really, if you study his life, even in the Wikipedia ego, his last age, the, in his advanced age, he became extremely a dejected person. Because he used to say that if someone used to criticize him, his reply would be, have I done any good to you? That why are you criticizing me? Means throughout the experience of his life, he, what he, that experience he gathered, that the person to whom, to whom you try to help, at last you will find it is they who are criticizing you, abusing you. So that's why when anyone criticized, he used to say, have I done any good to you? Why are you criticizing me? So that was his attitude. Why we are saying this? It's not to criticize any person. It is just to say, doing good for the sake of doing good at last doesn't serve any purpose. Neither it helps us to evolve spiritually, nor it really does any good to the world. You will find the problems remain as it is. It has, find, it has found expression in some other way. It's like an old rheumatic patient. So now with this prelude, let us continue with the discussion which Sri Ramakrishna is having with Vidya Sagar. So the master, by these philanthropic activities, you're really doing good to yourself. So this is another idea of Karma Yoga, which we will find Swami Vivekananda has expounded in his lectures, that by doing philanthropic activities, it is not that we are helping others. What we are doing is really we are doing good to yourself, our own self. 
because all the philanthropic activities are the opportunity for our spiritual evolution if we do it with a proper orientation. That through all these activities, I am having my own chitta shuddhi. When I do it selflessly, it helps to cleanse my mind without expectation when I do the actions. It cleanses my mind and it purifies me and in the process, it becomes the means for my spiritual evolution. As Swami Vivekananda used to say, the world is a grand moral gymnasium where we have all to take exercise so that we become stronger and stronger spiritually. It is a gymnasium where we have to take the exercise so that we become stronger and stronger spiritually. That how, what's the basic idea behind Karma Yoga? That as per my temperament, as per my tendencies, because of my past samskaras, I'm bound to do action. Let me do the action, but let me take out the expectations behind it. That's the cause of my bondage. It's the desires, the expectation of the results, which is the cause of my bondage. I cannot stop the action immediately. The impulse of the past actions of my latent impressions, past samskara will force me to do work. So let the work go on. And as I have to do work, let me do it for the good of the world. But at the same time, without any selfish motivation. So this will gradually cleanse my mind and it will lead me to spiritual emancipation. So this is the basic idea behind Karma Yoga. So whenever I'm having an opportunity to do a good act, what's the attitude it should be? It is the Lord who has came in disguise of the poor person, of the sick person, of the person who is in need of any help. It is the Lord who has came in disguise of that form. He's manifesting. After it is the Lord who is manifesting as each and every being in the universe. It is the Lord who is finding expression in that form. So I'm not serving that person. I'm actually serving the Lord in that form. If I can see the Lord in the picture, in the deity, which is something uh, inert, I have to think that it is lively and then have to worship it. And when I'm serving a human being, I don't have to just think that it is alive. It is already alive. It is Chaitanya Swarupa. I don't have to do Prana Pratishtha. Those who know the ritualistic worship, you all will be aware of the fact that there is something called Prana Pratishtha. That as the deity is something inert, we have to visualize that I am implementing, I am just imparting the prana, the life force into it. It has become lively. So you have to do that prana pratishta. You have to establish as if life in it through visualization. But for a living being, there is no need for prana pratishta. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say that what a, this ridiculous thing it is that for worshipping the deity, we have to do prana pratishta. And for the living beings who are moving around, there's no need for prana pratishta. But somehow we can see God in that inert object, in the deity, but we cannot see God in the visibly moving form, in the form of beings. There already the life is there. The conscious principle is behind that. that it's a real, a big ridiculous thing that I cannot see there. See the Lord in each and every person and take it as an opportunity that God has given you the opportunity to serve him in that form. So that's why Swami Vivekananda, in a very dramatic way, in a very in a very strong, with strong force, what he's told is something very interesting. That it is a giver who should kneel down and give. The receiver should stand. It's not that with a sense of superiority that I am the giver, that from a high pedestal I am giving. It is I who have got the opportunity to serve. So with that humility, when you do the service 
to each and every being, wherever the scope, wherever the opportunity comes, that transforms into karma yoga. So that's the idea behind this idea, where this line, that by these philanthropic activities, you are really doing good to yourself. You have, it, is, it is an opportunity to you to good to do yourself by evolving spiritually, by doing it selflessly, by offering it to the divine who is manifesting as this universe. Shiva Gyane, Jiva Sheva. Think the Lord in the Jiva. Don't take it as the Jiva. He's the Shiva. The Shiva is enshrined there, thinking that when you do the same thing, offer all your service to, the, to the, all the beings, not only human beings, to all beings, thinking the Lord is present in that person, in that being, that becomes karma yoga. So that's, it actually does good to myself. So if you can do them disinterestedly, then after saying this, that it is actually you're doing good to yourself. How you can do good to yourself? The next line Sri Ramakrishna is saying, if you can do them disinterestedly, your mind will become pure and you will develop love of God. As soon as you have that love, you will realize him. So if I can think the Lord is manifested in each and every being and go on doing my actions as per my inclination, as per my temperament, as per the situation in which I have been placed, as per my swadharma, it becomes a worship. And as I'm constantly thinking of the Lord, it's not that the person whom I'm serving, I think him to be just a limited being. It is the Lord who is behind him with that attitude as you are doing. So naturally, the question of developing love for the divine, this becomes something immanent. It's something obvious. So that's why he's saying, if you can do them disinterestedly, your mind will become pure and you will develop love of God. As soon as you have that love, you will realize him. So that there are two ways. I see the Lord in that person. That's one way of doing the action. And another, whatever tendencies I have, whatever good qualities I have, that the Lord has implanted in me. I am just an instrument. Lord is working through me. I'm just the channel through which the Lord is working. So with that, when I work, the total dependence on God comes because there is no question of expectation. I'm just an instrument. I'm just a channel in the God's hand through which God is taking care of his own creation. So with that, this, that, that's how the disinterestedly you can do the action and the love of the divine gradually dawns in our mind and that in turn will lead us to that spiritual realization. So total dependence on God will result in love of God through Chitta Shuddhi. So that's the idea. So now Sri Ramakrishna will be expounding when he said that, that to do them disinterestedly, how to do them disinterestedly. That's the idea now Sri Ramakrishna will be speaking of. Man cannot really help the world. Just these words are very important. Don't read it very fast. Just read it each and every line and contemplate. Man cannot really help the world. The next thing which he's saying is very, very important. God alone does that. He who has created the sun, the moon. Now the next line is very important. Who has put love for their children in parents' hearts, endowed noble souls with compassion and holy men and devotees with divine love. So it is he who has put that love for their children in the parents' heart. It is who has created the sun. Without sun, without moon, we cannot think of sustenance of life in this earth. The sun has a great role. The moon has a great role. It is because of the sun that life is possible. Because of the moon, all the, uh, this, the movement of the waves if you to just how, what's the effect of the moon? If you want to find out, you have to go to the seashore and see that the effect on the full moon night, how the waves have increased. So 
the moon in a way plays a great role in the sustenance of life in earth. The sun, of course, it is palpably visible. Without sun, there cannot be any life. So it is he who has given this wonderful world. And not only that, it is not only those physical means. Even the love, the compassion, which we find in the holy man, in the parents, that is implanted by the Lord in the heart of the parents, of the holy man. That nowadays we find even in uh, biology, even in modern science, they have started saying that the genes is altruistic. That to help others is in our genes. Without that, life wouldn't have been possible. It is the law of interdependence and that interdependence finds expression through love, compassion, altruism. And where that it came from, it is within the plan of the universe. It is the plan of the divine. So that's now what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. You will understand when again, let us read those lines. Men cannot help the world. It is not we who are helping the world. It is God alone who does that. He who has created the sun, the moon, who has put love for their children in parents' hearts, endowed noble souls with compassion, and holy men and devotees with divine love. The man who works for others without any selfish motive really does good to himself. Many don't, many say that Swami Vivekananda's lectures, there is no mention of Ramakrishna. Yes, it's true that he has not quoted him. He has not used his name. Because when he was preaching in the West, no one knew Ramakrishna. That name would have mattered nothing. But what he was preaching is nothing but Ramakrishna and Ramakrishna alone. You read the entire Karma Yoga of Swami Vivekananda. It is just the you can say the commentary of these few lines, the entire Karma Yoga of Swami Vivekananda. This, this few lines in which you will find the entire Karma Yoga is based upon. Man cannot really help the world. God alone does that. He who has created the sun and the moon, who has put love for their children in parents' hearts, endowed noble souls with compassion and holy men and devotees with divine love. The man who works for others without any selfish motive really does good to himself. There is gold buried in your heart, but you are not yet aware of it. It is covered with a thin layer of clay. Again, you will find the wonderful definition of education, of religion, coined by Swami Vivekananda is nothing but the reflection of this line. What Swami Vivekananda has defined, how Swami Vivekananda has defined education? Education is the manifestation of the perfection already in man. The perfection is already within. That has to be manifested. What is religion? Religion is the manifestation of the divinity already in man. So these are the words of Swami Vivekananda. Is it in any way different from this simple line of Swami, of Sri Ramakrishna, there is gold buried in your heart, but you are not yet aware of it. It is covered with a thin layer of clay. Remove the clay, the gold manifests. This words of Sri Ramakrishna is wonderful. It actually, you'll find its reflection in a real story, which happened much later. Ramakrishna passed away in 1886 and it's, this is a story somewhere in 1960s, which exactly that story relates to this words which has been spoken of here. There is gold buried in your heart, but you are not yet aware of it. It is covered with a thin layer of clay. It's a story which really happened in Thailand. In Thailand, there is a golden Buddha there is a golden Buddha. There's a lot of people go to visit visits that golden Buddha. And there is a history behind it. What's the story? That in uh, most probably in 1960s, in Thailand, the means the government took a project of uh, 
networking the entire country with high roads, these roads, highways. For uh, what you say that the easy networking and transportation, the entire country was to be networked by these highways. So when they mapped out where that how the high where all the highways will be going through, so there were many buildings, many landmarks which had to be demolished and had to be replaced and had to be uh, yes, it has to be relocated. So there was one such old Buddhist monastery, which was on the highway on the on the highway as per the project. The, where the highway is going through, a Buddhist monastery was there. So that had to be relocated. From the government, there was a proposal that we are going to give you the compensation, the land. So, so please, you have to, uh, you just think of relocating. So the work was going on. The new building was constructed. So it was now about, it was the time for the monks who were residing there to relocate. So all the furnitures and other antiques that, that, were re, that were already transferred, at last they thought there was a huge uh, statue of Buddha. It was a clay statue made of clay, a huge clay statue of Buddha. So they thought to relocate this statue to the new premises, new premises. So it was a huge Buddha statue made of clay so it was not possible for them to uh, just uh, manually replace it. So they had to take the help of the crane. And when the crane was trying to put it, pull it up, it was in the evening, it started drizzling. And as it was made of clay by its own weight, it started just developing some crack. And the drizzle, as because of the drizzle, uh, the clay also became soft and the crack was developed, was becoming bigger and bigger. And there was a chance that the enter, the statue will collapse. So the abode, the head of the monastery immediately ordered, please bring it down. We will think how to uh, replace it later. For the time being, please uh, bring it down. And as it was already exposed because of the rain, immediately with a tarpaulin sheet they covered so that the rain may not damage it. Now it was already, it was night. A few hours have passed and it was night. Now the abbot thought, let me go and see uh, that what's the condition of that, this clay Buddha, the statue. As it's, as it's drizzling, as it is, it is in the outdoors now, because it has been, the crane has brought it from the uh, the covering to the outdoors, but it couldn't uh, lift it and take it to the other place. It was not possible. They had to keep it. But now it was in the outdoors. It was just covered by the tarpaulin. So now the abode thought that let me go and see in what condition the statue is. So when he went, he, he took a torch as it was night, it was dark. He removed the tarpaulin sheet and focused and focused the torch on the statue of Buddha. And when the light fell on the crack, the small crack which has already developed, now the abbot was a bit surprised. He saw something shining from within the crack, something was shining. So he went near and tried to focus and he saw that something is there inside the clay, which of course should be metal, which is uh, shining. So he was, he was curious he asked the other monks also to come and they brought some chisel and hammer and they wanted to broaden the crack to see what's there, which is shining. And as they gradually started opening up the crack, the clay started falling off. And at last, what they discovered was something they were amassed. There was a shining golden Buddha inside that clay statue of Buddha. And they were surprised. They never knew from where it came. They always had the idea that it is a clay Buddha. So immediately the, uh, the archaeological department came to find out from where that 
golden buddha came so now after a long after a lot of research what they found was something very interesting that Burma, this uh, this thailand was attacked by burma a few decades uh, about uh, uh, a century back about 100 years or 200 years back it was attacked by the burmese uh, what you say that the uh, they were the they came to just plunder they plundered the land and the king was quite weak the plunderers were sufficiently strong to take control over the country so the country was in chaos they were looting the entire country they were killing people and the buddhist monastery in that time it was an old buddhist monastery the monks who were residing in that buddhist monastery in those days they had that apprehension that this plunderers they were the pirates that in no time they most probably will be attacking the buddhist monastery and they will try to loot all the wealth from that monastery and it's in that monastery in those days they had that golden buddha it was a golden buddha so now how to hide it it is they who covered the golden buddha with clay and gave it a gave it a form of the statue of buddha it appear from outside it is a clay buddha but within uh, a few months as they thought that's what happened the plunderers came the pirates came attacked the monastery they tried to loot whatever they got whatever they found and most probably there was a resistance from the monks and the monks were killed and the buddhist monastery was lying dilapidated for years together the plunderers were there ruling over the country for 60 years after 60 years there was a uprising from within the country and these pirates were defeated they were killed and the country again got its independence it again became it's an independent nation and when it became an independent nation seeing the signs of monastery a new generation of buddhist monks finding that this dilapidated building do have the sign of a monastery the clay buddha was there other things which speaks that it's a monastery that gave them that indication that it, it was a monastery so they started staying there so this new generation monks after 60 years they had no idea what was there 60 years back and they kept that buddhist that clay buddha intact they were worshiping it it was there they never knowing that there is a golden buddha hidden behind the clay it's just because when they tried to re relocate it and because of the crack that this was discovered that's how the archaeological department found found out that how that golden buddha was there hidden within the clay buddha now this is a fact now there is a lot of tourists who throngs that place to see that amaral buddha the golden buddha but what's the this what why we are reading this story that there was a covering of clay over the buddha why that covering came because of fear fear comes from is a negative it's a negative uh, a trait of our character which speaks of uh hiding of uh, it speaks of uh not allowing our potentiality to manifest any fear whenever we have fear we cannot realize our potential so it remains hidden within us so out of ignorance the fear comes what's the ignorance that i am this limited being with the fall of the body i am i will be annihilated so this ignorance begets fear this fear doesn't allow the potentiality to manifest so after relating this story in one book i found what they told is very interesting that we all have a golden buddha within a golden christ whatever it may be a golden jesus a golden buddha a golden krishna as per your wish it is there 
the clay of ignorance is there. So it has to be removed so that the golden Buddha is revealed. It's a story which speaks of the oriental way of thinking. There are two ways. In the, in the Western way of thinking, we find there's a dichotomy. There's a, uh, a division of good and evil. That good exists along with that evil do exist. And we constantly have to balance this two. We have to get rid of the evil as much as possible so that the good can win. The fight of God and Satan is something going on. But in the Eastern philosophies, whether it is Buddhist or in the philosophy, the idea is the ultimate reality is only good. What is evil? Evil is just the manifestation of ignorance. When I don't know my real potentiality because of ignorance, when that inner potentiality gets covered, that finds expression as evil. There is no such separate existence of evil. Just to give an example, suppose take a seed. A seed has the potentiality to become a huge tree, banyan tree. But why it has uh, not become, that has, it couldn't become a banyan tree? Because most probably it was sowed in a place, the seed has fallen in a place which was uh, a swamp, too much of water and the seed has got rotten. Or it most probably it was in a dry place. So that dried up the seed. That seed got dried up and so it couldn't sprout. So this excess heat or excess water are the things which didn't allow the seed to manifest. If it got, if it would have got the proper conditions, it would have sprouted into, it would have become a huge banyan tree. So this rotten seed or the dried seed is not an evil. It is just the expression of the fact that the hidden potentiality within it couldn't be manifested because of the lack of proper conditions. If you give the proper conditions, that inner goodness is bound to manifest. So there is nothing called evil. Evil is just the expression of the fact that the hidden goodness that the potential goodness couldn't be manifested. That's evil. There is no separate existence of evil. So that's what now you will find in the simple words of Sri Ramakrishna, that there is gold buried in your heart, but you are not yet aware of it. It is covered with a thin layer of clay. So here with this type of attitude, what happens? No one is left out. You don't boycott anyone. You'll find that the Eastern, in this, in the Hindu religion, they never say that there is no scope for you. For everyone, there is scope. The entire Tantra came from that, from that idea that no one has to be left out. If the child has gone down to the gutter, because it doesn't know that what is hygienic, what is unhygienic, it has gone down to the gutter playfully. And the mother is calling, please come, it doesn't come. The mother out of compassion has to go down to the gutter to bring the child back and cleanse it. So if the, our so-called religion cannot come down to the person to pick him up, that was the use of that religion. And that's why we find there is so, this, this uh, Vedic religion is so vast that there are some sattvic practices that those who have those sattva guna, for them it's devotion and all those things have been prescribed. But those who are submerged in all the so-called baser instincts of life, they have got totally uh, obsessed by them. What's the way out? Religion has to prescribe ways for them to pick up from there. Because no one is evil. That it is only because he, that's, he didn't get the proper conditions to manifest his spirituality, he is in that level. So it is not that he is hopeless, that his genes are such that he can never be good. He has to be in the, uh, what you say that nowadays, compassion in the West, how it is thought of, that he is inherently bad. His genes are that, he's inherently bad. 
So we don't punish him. We don't punish him, but he has to be kept in the jail because he may prove to be a danger for the society. So there, there the compassion ends, but we never think that he can be good. And that's the thing which creates the, the which, that evil begets more evil. You will find the one who has committed crime and was in the jail for 20 years, when he comes out, still has a tendency again to do the same crime. And people shout always why he was released. Because no one told that he is actually basically good. What they told is you're basically bad. There is no scope for you. Your genes are such. And that's what he's convinced about. So here is the word of hope that everyone is good. Give him proper environment. The good is bound to manifest. The bad is some only the expression of the fact that the good never got, the inherent goodness never got chance to manifest. So there the compassion goes still down to bring you up and to liberate. Even the sinner can be liberated. No one is left out. So these lines are very, very important. There is gold buried in your heart. That no one is genetically, uh, what you say, that wired to be bad alone. No one. However, with this type of ideas in society, we find so much of evil goes on prevailing. If we can have a word of hope by this idea that everyone has an inherent goodness, there is a scope to really uh, transform the entire personality. He need not be uh, bound, imprisoned by the so-called the genetic orientation. He can outgrow it. And uh, just today's sinner can become tomorrow's saint. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna, the simple lines are so, it gives us hope that there is gold buried in your heart, but you are not yet aware of it. It is covered with thin layer of clay. Once you are aware of it, all these activities of yours will lessen. After the birth of a child, the daughter-in-law in the family busies herself with it alone. Everything she does is only for the child. Her mother-in-law doesn't let her do any household duties. It's the same example which Sri Ramakrishna gave just a few paragraphs uh, back, which we were studying in the last class. The same to just reinstate his statement. He's again repeating that same example that when the child is born, your devotion has developed, it has bloomed. The other activities are bound to fall off. It happens spontaneously. It's not that you have to forcefully get rid of them. You will be in such circumstances where you find that you can engross yourself with more and more of the devotion. So that the mother-in-law is the God who will reduce your work and keep you in that situation. So this, uh, why he's saying to Vidyasagar all these things? Because Vidyasagar thinks that philanthropic activities are the be all and end all of our existence. That's the ultimate aim of man, just to do good to the society. So that road cleansing philosophy that they say, that Swami Vivekananda used to say, is a philosophy which says that just keep the society clear, keep the roads clean, the parks clean, make everything properly accessible to the public, there your work ends. And after that, we find that with so much uh, the psychological issues are prevailing in the society with all the helps and everything. Why? Because that cannot be the be all and end all of our existence. So with all those good works should at last help us to cleanse our mind so that we become more and more spiritually oriented. Without that, just the material prosperity can in no way give us ultimate fulfillment. That's as Swami Vivekananda used to say, that I am a socialist because half a loaf is better than no loaf at all. That 
when the society is deprived even from the basic necessities of life. There you cannot preach religion. There you cannot talk of spirituality. When I am hungry, I cannot think of the this higher pursuits of life. Immediately my hunger has to be removed. But when I am fed, I have the bare, the basic sustenance of life is met. What to do with my mind? That will create havoc when it is kept free. Even uh, last year, uh, uh, one year or two years back, suddenly in Germany, there was a lot of uh, this, uh, the breaking of the shops were going on. It happens, it's not only that uh, last year it happened, many times that in an affluent society, when you have a lot of leisure, the government gives dole if you are unemployed and the people tend not to act and then they don't know what to do with their mind. They just do without any reason, they will be destroying the things. When they find that, that life has become hell for them, they just make it hell for others without any reason and destructive activity they get involved. A free mind can that is a devil's workshop is a fact. So once the basic this with all the prosperity and the basic needs are met, what will I do with the mind? That mind can be really a devil's workshop unless you find a higher purpose of life through spirituality. So this is the that's why half that's when he says I am a socialist because half a loaf is better than no loaf at all. That's why we become this thing. What it means. That when I am total, I am hungry. I of course have to fill up my stomach, but that is just half loaf. It is taking care of my physical needs. After that, I'm just half fed. After that, I have to be fed properly by taking care of the higher values of life. As a human being, we have to. Without that, we cannot live. We have to search for the meaning of life, higher purposes of life, and have some spiritual orientation. And Unless we have it, the life cannot be fulfilled. So, so that's why we find that there should be a gradual transformation, that all the activities by itself cannot be the be all and end all of our existence. It should lead to a type of spiritual evolution. As in the, again, we will find in, the, in you know, that Swami Vivekananda's lecture, in these few lines, there is a lecture. A complete lecture is based on this line that uh, activities by itself doesn't serve any purpose. Where he speaks of the story of the dog's curly tail. That in this world, when you think that by, act, by, by your philanthropic activities, you're going to change the course of the world. It's just like the dog's curly tail. It can never be straightened. That's the story which Swami Vivekananda brings. And that story again is in the gospel of Ramakrishna. If you really read Swami Vivekananda's complete works and the gospel hand in hand, you will find it's just a commentary. Ramakrishna's uh, gospel's commentary. See, Ramak Swami Vivekananda's complete works is a commentary of the gospel of Ramakrishna. In Karma Yoga, he relates the exact story which Sri Ramakrishna has told to the devotees. He is speaking to the Western audience of so the dog's curly tail. So these activities by itself doesn't serve any purpose. At last we find, as we were saying, that the problems just manifest in a different way. There is no permanent solution to the problems of the world. Not only that, Swami Vivekananda in his Karma Yoga has mentioned that if the problems are solved in arithmetic progression, and if the good, if we try to do good to the world and this goodness increase in arithmetical progression, the evil increase in geometrical progression. We'll find that with all our attempt to do good to the world for the last thousand years, you show the history. We have, we'll find that we have made a more and more complicated society. In no way the problems are solved. So just so trying to make a better world by itself is going to make us a frustrated human being. We will never find solution there. Our attitude should be that this world, we don't know that what's the ultimate uh, uh, plan of the divine. One thing is sure, it's not that we have, that God has sent us to create a heaven here. 
he has sent us to give us a choice that you can be of the world and you can be united with me. But at the same time, he has made the world in such a way that it is perfectly imperfect. The stories help that in the Bible, the story of the prodigal child, that's a, such a wonderful story that a rich man had two children, that one, the elder son was obedient to his father. And the youngest one, the son, wanted to be free. So as he asked his father to give the share of his property which he inherits. And the father told, why? Stay with me. We, should, we, can, we can stay together. What's the need of uh, just separating? But the younger son wanted to be free and he insisted, as he was insisting at father, had to yield. He gave him the share of the property which he's supposed to inherit. And with that, he left. And within few years, he was not a responsible being, a child. He had not developed any sense of responsibility. With all that money, he thought it is something which is going to be there with him forever. He was spending the life lazily, spending lavishly. And in no time, within just a year or so, he found that all his wealth has gone. He has turned into a pauper. And now the thought of his father came back. That I cannot sustain myself without my father. But there was a fear that if I now go back to my father, he will kick me. He will be angry with me, annoyed with me. That he, I have disobeyed him. I have wasted his property, wealth. So, but there, as there is no other way with fear, with all those apprehensions and fear, still he proceeded towards his father. Not sure what his father is, how his father is going to react. And the father, seeing the child coming back from a distance, ran, embraced the child, brought him back home, and there was a huge celebration. Celebrated, the father celebrated the son's homecoming. So what's this story? Why is it in the Bible? The same idea that the world has been created perfectly imperfect. God has given us the choice. You can be united with him or you can be separated. You can go out. But he has made the world perfectly imperfect so that at last we are bound to be the paupers. And then with fear, we see to the God that first comes fear. Oh, I have sinned. But God is not at all bothered about all those things. He is just waiting to be again reunited with his son. He knows he will come back with the fear, but it is God who will go and embrace his child and bring him back home and celebrate his homecoming. So what that story says, that all these activities which we are doing is with a sense that this world where we are moving out is something which we are going to make perfect, which will become a heaven. At last we find it remains as it is and we ourselves have become a pauper and we have to come back. And that's where the question of all the activities has to fall off, that renunciation has to come and more and more we have to become united with the divine. So there the purpose of the activity is at last to exhaust all our free will, that the will that the free will with which we I thought that I will I am the master of my own situation that has to go off and I have to get established a, again in my spiritual identity. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. Once you are aware of it, all these activities of your will lessen. After the birth of a child, the daughter-in-law in the family busies herself with it alone. Everything she does is only for the child. Her mother-in-law doesn't let her do any household duties. So that to keep the balance, the question comes only when the devotion is yet to grow. As in some other place, Sri Ramakrishna will be giving another example. What's that? That if one is drunk a little, one can think of maintaining balance between socializing and intoxication. So that you are, you are most probably in a party and there the drink is being served. So as long as hey, that you have taken just a little, 
that intoxication has started working, but still you can maintain the socializing. But if you get too much drunk, the socializing has to fall off. You get so intoxicated. So here also, the same thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying that all the activities with these activities, when I develop devotion at the beginning, it may be that yes, that I can think of taking care of my responsibilities and have little devotion. Work and worship at the beginning. Work and worship goes hand in hand. Work and worship. And then this, the, what you say that the work gets totally transformed. The work becomes worship because you are seeing the Lord everywhere. It's no more work and worship. It's work is worship. Uh, when he's the, when the, the activities lessens, it, uh, for some, it may be so that he gets totally intoxicated with the divine. And for some others, it may be so that he's still continuing with his action, but with a total different orientation, that it is no more the actions with the idea that he's acting out of his responsibilities. It is just seeing the Lord in the world out of devotion. He goes on with his responsibilities. In that case, the activities no more remains as the activities. So in whatever sense we may say that the activities has to lessen in the sense that we think that we are doing something good to the world. It has to get transformed into devotion. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating that once you're aware of it, all these activities of yours will lessen. After the birth of a child, the daughter-in-law in the family busies herself with it alone. Everything she does is only for the child. Her mother-in-law doesn't let her do any household duties. So now, that story, the Sri Ramakrishna story, we will read it uh, itself explains a lot. But after reading the story, we will try to reflect on it. Go forward. A woodcutter once entered a forest to gather wood. A brahmachari said to him, go forward. Charai Vedi, go move on. Don't stop. We, he obeyed the injunction and discovered some sandalwood trees. After a few days, he reflected. The holy man asked me to go forward. He didn't tell me to stop here. So he went forward and found a silver mine. After a few days, he went still farther and discovered a gold mine. And next, mines of diamond and precious stones. With all this, he became immensely rich. So never take the milestone as the final goal the doing little good work, philanthropy. Let us not stop there, thinking that to be the be all and end all of our existence. That is good, that's not bad. But go forward, as this story says, that there is some gold hidden within. Try to find out that gold that you yourself don't know that the gold is hidden within. It is that gold from where that love has emanated and which has enabled you to do the good works. So go to that source, get identified with it. For that, this life is. All the good works which we do, that has as such ultimately no value unless that helps us to get identified with the spiritual dimension of our existence. So that to, getting, to get identified with the spiritual dimension of our existence is what is meant by becoming immensely rich by not stopping in any of the milestones. The milestones are this doing good to the world, which we think to be the ultimate goal. That's not the ultimate goal, go forward. So that's the story which Sri Ramakrishna is indicating to Vidyasagar. Why is saying? Because Vidyasagar, as again and again we are saying, he, though being a, such a highly scholarly person, somehow was agnostic. He was not at all interested with that spiritual uh, way of living. He was quite happy with just doing good to the world. He was a very compassionate person, he was doing good to the world. For that, he had a lot of accolades, approbations, had a lot of respect from the society. At the beginning, of course, in the later we will find, he did get a lot of betrayals and he was happy with that. Sri Ramakrishna just can foresee that this all can never give us the permanent satisfaction. The purpose of life cannot be 
so that's you cannot uh, meet the you cannot the purpose of life cannot be fulfilled just by this type of philanthropic activities without any spiritual orientation so to develop the love of god is a real purpose in karma yoga as swami vivekananda used to say world is the means god is the end for most of us spirituality or really what is religion where god is the means world is the end i want wealth i want good position in life i want uh, what is a proper health no sickness no illness for that i pray to god so god is just the means world is the end what this world can give me that is what i want i want wealth i want position in life i want good relations that's what i want god is just the means sri ram swami vivekananda is saying that's not spirituality the spirit in what's the spirituality that where god is the means world is the end that is materialism that is not spirituality and what is spirituality where world is the means god is the end people seeing you will feel that you are totally engrossed with the world taking care of your responsibilities uh taking care of the children taking care of the society and people will think that he is a man of the world but in the bottom of your heart you know that these all you are doing disinterestedly knowing very well it is god samsar god has placed you to take care of these responsibilities you are doing just with a sense of service but in no way you are attached to that as there is a saying goes that sadhu hobe sadhu sajbe na grihi sajbe grihi hobe that in translated in uh, if you translate in english what it means that pretend to be a householder don't become a householder but become a holy person don't pretend to be a holy person you will find that in our life we just do the opposite we pretend to be holy person but we are extremely attached we are the householders but we have to we have to just do the opposite we have to pretend that we are householder people seeing us will feel we are attached extremely attached but there is a total different orientation that i am doing it knowing very well that this is not mine this is that god has kept me in this just the way the maid servant do, does all the work in a rich man's house she says verbally she will say my house knowing very well that is not her house my children pointing to the landlord's children the rich man's children say they are like my children i take care of them but at the bottom of her heart she knows they are not her children so that's the way we have to live in this world the world becomes a means but the goal is something different that god is the end world is the in means god is the end so that's the way we can gradually move forward as you find in the life of sri ramakrishna his his instructions are so interesting that a widow once came to ramakrishna and told that his he, she cannot meditate whenever she tries to meditate she she was a widow no one uh, uh, she she had no immediate family but she was taking care of one of the uh, nephews a small that she that she had a nephew and that nephew was most probably orphan and now she was so attached to the nephew that so much drawn to the nephew that whenever she is to sit for meditation the thought of the nephew would distract what he is doing this is a very small boy is he uh, um, in some danger because after all he is innocent so that all these thoughts will distract her would never allow her to meditate that's what she confessed ramakrishna very plainly told that why do you think of meditating separately whatever you have to do for your this small child this nephew you do with the idea that it's not your nephew you are serving gopala the baby krishna and there was a exuberance of devotion in a very short time which was palpably visible by all so that speaks of the world is the means god is the end when we change the orientation so 
That's what Sri Ramakrishna is speaking. Go forward. Don't take that. Yes, to take care of the nephew is a good thing. But that we can convert into spirituality when we have that proper orientation. That, yes, I am serving the Lord in him. It's not just my nephew. That's how we can go forward. And that's what he's indicating, Vidya Sagar, that not mere philanthropic act activities, which, which without devotion at last will make us realize that the world is a dog's curly tail. It will lead, it will just make you a total frustrated being with no spiritual evolution. So go forward, don't stop there. It's good what you're doing, but go forward. This should enable result in chitta shuddhi and that should result in spiritual evolution. That's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. So he's almost in the end of this discussion. So just a few more paragraphs we will take up again in the next class before we end this section of the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.